A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to Movie Crush, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Movie Crush Friday Interview Edition. We've got Andy Ciara virtually in my basement this week. Uh, Andy is an old friend of mine. I've told the story a bunch, but if you have not heard, uh, Andy and his older brother, Joey, were in the band Henry Clay People, and they became friends of mine through the Stuff You Should Know podcast and eventually recorded the theme song to our TV show as well as having me on stage to play with them and me going to see them a bunch of times. And uh, they're just good dudes. And Andy is now a movie writer, everybody. He wrote that great new movie that's out right now on Hulu and at a drive-in near you called Palm Springs, uh, starring Andy Samberg. And it's really great. And I'm super excited and proud and kind of blown away that Andy has uh, dipped his toe in the pond as a screenwriter and uh, has had such success so quickly. It's really, really great. It doesn't always go that way. And Andy knows that. He's a very humble, sweet guy. And uh, I'm sure you will love him as much as I do. So here we go with Andy Ciara on The Great, Great Movie from 2015, Force Majeure. How you doing? How you guys hanging in there? You know, it's... it's uh weird time um <laughs> I, I, I feel you know lucky that, that to, to kind of break up the monotony you know we we had to move during this whole uh pandemic and quarantine um oh yeah i was gonna ask if that was the same yeah, no, yeah we moved to eagle rock um from culver oh, we, nice. we kind of backed ourselves into a corner because uh the the new baby's coming in five weeks now oh god and, that's uh, right i forgot and about amanda's that. doctor 
uh, and our hospital is on this side of town. So we just, we always knew we had to, I mean, for the past, whatever, eight months, seven months, we knew that we had to move by um, summer mm-hmm. uh, for this baby. And right. we did not know that the world would be shutting down. So it, it definitely right. made it, made it a little fun. more difficult. Um, where over in Eagle Rock, you don't have to name your address, but where in Eagle Rock generally? Are I am. You? We are in the, the armpit of the of the two and the 134 up behind that that target um there i I never actually Uh been up on that hill there um i didn't really know i I knew it existed because i drove by it so many times um but uh it's a it's a great quiet neighborhood up here um and yeah it's like this this old I i think 50s subdivision that has just now been like you know it's gone through the whole renovation process uh, over the past, yeah. you know, 20 years. And it's just, I don't know, very kind neighbors, just uh, walkable, you know, but but still hilly. And I don't know. I'm into it. I dig it. Totally. I love it, man. I'm glad I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, I, look what I'm wearing today in honor of oh, you guys. Oh. <laughs> Got on my Henry Clay People t-shirt. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, everyone knows the story, so I'm not going to bore the listeners for the millionth time with how we met, but <laughs> I did want to talk a little bit about your growing up life and what what it was like. I always am interested in sort of the culture of the household and how movies and and TV and stuff comes your way as mm-hmm. a kid. Um, well, where to begin? I I I mean I I think I'm pretty sure that my dad took me to see Batman. And that was the very first movie I saw in the theater, uh, in, in Which the original Batman, Batman nineteen eighty nine. Um, okay, and I, 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 that's what I've been told. I don't know if that's just you know, that's the the story that's been told throughout the years. Yeah, the, the yeah. lore. But um, I mean, to me, uh, when we we moved from Whittier in May, end of May of ninety three, um, to Yorba mm-hmm. Linda, uh, Orange County, birthplace of. Richard Nixon, something something they are still proud about for some reason. Uh, yeah, birthplace of uh, Southern California conservatism. Yeah, it's 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 weird that I like I like why does he get a library? Uh, <laughs> and um, but yeah, we moved there in yeah end of May of, of ninety three. I was uh, that was the end of my second grade year, and, and but we uh-huh. we moved during this you know right at the top of summer. So and I was a shy kid, and Joey and I were not close buds yet um joey my older brother uh i know i know you know that but too you know sure yeah we we weren't close yet and i was i didn't have the the courage to go knock on neighbors doors to like you know come hang out and play um yeah and since i wasn't in we weren't the third grade hadn't started yet um i didn't have like the forced friendships that come with school so i was just i was a a lonely but fine but still lonely depressed but again, it's not that depressed because I'm, it was, you know, a fine middle class kid. Um, sure. And then on June 11th, 93, my dad took me to see Jurassic Park. And then uh, it all changed. Uh, that changed, changed everything. everything. Huh? Saw, saw it nine times that summer. Um, my, yeah, I knew that was a big, big movie yeah, for Yeah, and you. I saw that it was, it was taken already. So therefore, I can't, we can't talk about that today. Uh, but I that's know. fine. I've, I've, I've <laughs> talked about that one uh, to death. Um, but yeah, my mom, and then my mom's best friend gave me her, uh, that summer or maybe that Christmas gave me, um, her like old VHS shoulder mount camera. And I started making a bunch mm-hmm. of 
short films, like I'm really bad, bad short films. Um, like, and, but I would convince my, uh, my teachers throughout el- the end of elementary school and into high school to like, let me, um, instead of writing book reports, uh, let me do like a, let, let me do the Westing game, uh, but a five minute short of the Westing game or Romeo and Juliet or in high school, right. we did the crucible, uh, but then make, yeah, but just making little short films about it. Um, Oh, that's cool. So, but as for like the way movies came into my life, it was you know my, I I remember I remember very clearly from like Jurassic Park up till, you know ninety seven ninety eight. I was very much uh, of my dad's son in the yeah we you know River Wild. Uh, I, I I remember seeing this the double feature of Twister and Mission Impossible at our theater multiple times in in ninety six. Oh man. Um, that's why. That's, that's a nice, why. I, that's a nice double. Bill. Yeah, that's why I suggested you know maybe talking about Twister. Uh, Don, it's one of Emily's yeah, favorites. Uh, I went on the really really loved disaster movies for a while because um, I was uh-huh. just kind of of that perfect age. Uh, Dante's Peak was another huge one for me. Deep Impact, um, and then there was the magical year of of ninety nine, um, which I, I just mm, I yeah, yeah I just man. read this this book. Um, that Joey got me for uh, like, and uh, I read it back in December. It was about how like 99 was the best year for film um, in, you know, perhaps history. Uh, what's it called? What's it's, I can't remember. <laughs> I'll, I should. Is it called 1999 colon the best year for movies? I, I, I think so. <laughs> it was something like that. Something yeah, like if, that. Uh, I, I lent it to a friend. Otherwise I would just grab it right now. Um, yeah, I'll it, find it. No, that sounds cool. We cover a lot of 99 Yeah, it's films. great. And and it goes just from, um, and it was cool because I was reading it right up, right before we went to Sundance for our movie. And the whole first chapter is about like Blair Witch Project and, and Jan- it goes right. month by month um, and covers the year, the movie that came out that year. So that was like, it also had this whole story about Sundance. So it was kind of a nice primer for me going to Sundance for my first time. Um, totally. But yeah, that, that year, I was also that perfect age of very impressionable age of I think 12 or 11 and 12 that year or 12 no 12 and 13 that year um and yeah so therefore I become obsessed with Spike Jones and Gondry and Kaufman and P.T. Anderson and yeah Alexander Payne and David O. Russell and uh yeah the new masters yeah, yeah and so then from and and Joey had kind of like shown me you know he had his his VHS box set of Kubrick um that I think yeah. came out the year before, maybe uh, like right before Eyes Wide Shut, and so I kind of started like dabbling that, but I didn't. I didn't. As a as a twelve year old, I didn't quite understand <laughs> Clockwork Clockwork <laughs> Orange. Uh, it was yeah, that's um, tough. But from that point on, through you know the next several years up to college, I, that's those kind of became the movies that I uh, obsessed over. And now it's I'm just you know my goal is to just <laughs> combine my love of big budget disaster films or monster films or alien films like Independence Day. That was another big one that my dad still talks about. Like, uh, like how we went and saw that, I think four or five times in a theater together. Um, and, oh, uh, nice. and it's, it's funny cause he, he actually, he brought it up to me the other day. It's like, remember when we went and saw July 4th and I'm like, what? <laughs> and then he's like, you know, the, the alien one. And, I, and that, that's, that's how he remembers it for some reason. Uh, and yeah, and so now I'm just I just want to you know combine my the 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 prestige films of you know the 
you know, 99 on that I kind of fell in yeah. love with too, like with that, this, I don't know, this, this adventure part that I grew up with. And I, I didn't really grow up with many, um, like too much in the sci-fi world. Uh, my, I think of the, on the, the spectrum of adventure films versus like sci-fi films, we got the, the Indiana Jones on one side and, uh, and Star Wars on the other side. We were, we were right. far more of a Indiana Jones family. And then I've, I've now yeah. come to like love the Star Wars world um, but you know, I think because we, as a society, we're told every day that this is, this is what we're supposed to love. And yeah, and, you have to, <laughs> but I've, and I've kind of, I've just, I have grown to love it though. Uh, I've just, I've just given in to the, the pressures of marketing. When did you start playing guitar? Um, it was, it was sixth grade for Christmas. My brother gave me his his first guitar and so that was my first guitar it was a, yeah. a squat fender squire um and yeah. see i got that and it was it was covered in stickers of you know <laughs> oc punk bands and ska bands right. uh <laughs> and then i played i remember that it was yeah sixth grade so and i played the talent show that year and me and um a couple buddies covered uh damn it by blink 182 and that was it was the that was the beginning of the the music phase which is now done. <laughs> I, wait, I, I actually I don't even, I don't even know if I own a guitar anymore because I because don't say that <laughs> I'm so mad at you right now. Well, oh fuck, part, dude. Part of that is because Joey and I would because uh, for all of my twenties and when we were in the band and we were living together, you don't make any money as a band, so like I, I, we would just sell each other's equipment back and forth to each other to like help pay rent. Uh-huh. And I think the the last exchange was like I needed money, so I sold uh, the guitar that I was playing to Joey. And now the SG, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, to be honest, I don't. I'm, I'm not sure I ever even owned the SG outright. I think I think it may have always been Joey's, but then I I kind of like oh, really? co opted it, and then <laughs> but uh, he's been using it, so he came and picked it up, and then he picked up my amp to go record, and so now I have a I have this acoustic guitar uh like that i would i would use for like the songs for kids stuff um and yeah. that's that's on the wall in the living room that i'll take down every uh every few weeks to play down by the bay or uh old mcdonald for Ramona. Yeah. but otherwise like yep i <laughs> for some... well i mean i'm just giving you a hard time of course you've moved into a, a the professional phase of your career and there's not, there's no shame in like leaving behind traveling around in a stinky van and not making any money. And you, you had that, uh, experience though, which is super cool. And that's how I met you guys. Uh, but don't ever stop playing is all I got to say. I, I think you'll get back into it one day. Like you'll have an old man band when you're my age. That's my, maybe, prediction. maybe, I don't know. It's <laughs> I, I've, I've noticed with, um, with Joey and then Noah, I don't know if you ever, met Noah. He was our, he was the original bass player in our band. He, he and I met, yeah, yeah, I he and so. I met in a, in a creative writing class at UCI, uh, bonded over pavement. And then it just happened to be like the day I met him was the day our bass player quit. And I, I was like walking with Noah. I was like, Hey, do you play bass? He's like, no, I, I play guitar, but close enough. I'm like, well, do you want to be in our, do you want to be right. in our band? And then he, he, he joined Henry Clay people and was, um, with us for up until like the touring year started. Anyway, yeah. The reason to bring him up is that he and Joey both have that uh that <laughs> I don't, don't want to call it a like a, a disease, but it's um, <laughs> where it, if they walk into a room and there's ever a a guitar 
that's like just yeah. sitting there. They have to pick it up. They have to play. They're yeah. the guys that will always bring the the guitar to like camping trips or because uh, uh-huh. they always have to have it. Um, and it, and I, I remember in I remember in like high school, uh, I was just you know I was just watch, watching a movie in my room with my high school girlfriend, and then uh, you know it's like it's private time. Um, and then Joey just uh-huh. Joey just walks in just like strumming the guitar like not not thinking yeah. it's like it's it's this other part of his brain that just like it's it's just i don't know he, he zones out it, it yeah. takes over uh, <laughs> and i i and he he and noah always had that i never had that um and i think that's why once we called it a day in the band like it was kind of easy for for me to not look back too much i do i do love yeah. playing live I, we, we had our we did this other kind of side band um fakers for two years but I, I bet I saw one of those yeah. shows. And what I loved about that was just, I, I mean, I just love playing live. I think it's just fun to perform, but I, I hate yeah. recording. <laughs> I hate practicing. So all those things that you actually need to be good at for, to, to be in a successful band. I, uh, I right. just, no, I like no. <laughs> <laughs> what was the highlight, uh, before we move on to, to screenwriting stuff, what was, what was like the highlight for you band wise, either coolest moment or biggest gig, or if those are one in the same, I mean, Covering T Rex the Tabernacle with you was pretty incredible. Oh come on, <laughs> you guys played Coachella. <laughs> yeah, no, th- that that was cool. Um, just because I had you know been to Coachella every year right from from two thousand four when uh, when I was in high school, and I remember that's when Pixies played right before Radiohead, and that just I was at yeah, that show. It was just incredible. Um, and Q and yeah. Not You, I remember that was the first band we saw that day, and I was a big Q and Not You fan, and um. And so going to Coachella, I think every year from that point, um, and then getting to play in 2011, yeah, it was just like, oh, I, I don't, I don't need a, this, this I, I had a feeling in the moment actually, or like just leading up to the show, like, yeah, this is probably the best it's going to get for the band. And yeah. we, I remember after we, you know, or an hour before our set and we're just kind of just, you know, hanging out until we, we go and play, I just said, you know. I'll see you guys in a little bit to my to the band and to my family, and just I just kind of walk the the grounds, uh, yeah, on my own and just to kind of you know soak it in because there was, uh, yeah, I always I always knew there was a shelf life. Uh, just didn't know when that shelf life was gonna, um, you know, run right. course. So, did Joey come walking up with his guitar and interrupt <laughs> your moment? <laughs> Part of me thinks that like I I maybe did hear him like go back onto the stage like check check his guitar sound and like I'm just trying to like be at peace and then I I hear him like or I can I can see I, there's many uh, images that are burned in my brain of like being on stage or uh, recording of Joey you know his head down to the amp um, to try to find that perfect sound and that's the other thing of like he yeah. and I know you guys have talked a lot about you know you pe- passing back and forth pedal pedal yeah, knowledge gear, gear yeah guys. yeah uh, and yeah that's, he has had i don't know hundreds of of pedals and guitars and amps over the years um and he's always in yeah. search of that perfect sound but you will never find that perfect sound so that's the well the uh the for non-musicians it's called gas it's called uh, either guitar or gear acquisition syndrome and it's real yeah <laughs> i can tell you yeah A new season of Bridgerton is here. 
and with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's reality podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring bit. out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, been the podcast juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. So I want to talk about screenwriting for a little bit because rarely do I get a bona fide uh, big shot Hollywood screenwriter in here like I'm, this. I'm, I'm a tiny, <laughs> tiny shot. So definitely not big shot. Uh, and I thought we should, could talk about AFI for a little bit because you went through the AFI program. And I think it would be instructive for people who consider film school or programs like AFI. So what was that like and and was it worth it? And just sort of walk us through a little bit what AFI was all about. Um, I mean, it's 
funny. I think it's important for listeners to know that you wrote one of my letters of recommendation for AFI. That's right. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure that sealed the deal. <laughs> I, I I bet it did have a huge a huge part of it all. Um, AFI was it was great. I it's 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 hard. I have a it's very expensive to go there. Um, yeah, and I did not. I mean, I my parents were are lovely, but we not we didn't have like they're not made of money. So I I th- right. their big thing was to uh, help me with undergrad. But then once I have that, I'm good to go. Uh, and so like I didn't they didn't want me to enter the world um, buried in debt. And then I spent right. the next six years, five years after undergrad in the band not buried in debt, but definitely like living in debt. Uh, mm-hmm. Hence Joey writing a song called living in debt. Uh, yeah. It's because like, <laughs> but that was always, you know, just credit card bills here and there, but we didn't have any school debt. Yeah. And then all of a sudden um, the band's done. And I don't, I don't, I, there's nothing else I know that I want to do with my life. Uh, I didn't know how to do anything else. Not that I could, I even knew if I knew how to do that either. But uh, I was like, right. okay, well, if I have to go $200,000 in the debt, I mean, at that point, it's just monopoly money. It doesn't make, that's not real. Uh, and right. so I did that and I'm still in debt for that. Um, and that's terrible. You got to knock out a few I more know. movies. That's, that's, the, that's the terrifying <laughs> thing about it is that like, it's it's so much money and that that's my problem with, you know, the, the top film schools is that like, I, yeah. I was only able to make that kind of, um, it, it can be looked at as a foolish decision uh, to go to school to go into that much debt when you can, you know, you can download script notes uh, and right. those, that's like that is a it's a public service they're doing, um, and you can learn so much from that. Um, but I I can only make that decision to go to film school and go into that much debt because I knew still in the back of my head I had a safety net of like uh, uh, my wife was successful and working um but she was right. we, we were just boyfriend girlfriend at the time but still like you know i i knew i had that my parents are of good health and if worst case scenario i can always just like i, I knew i could fall back and live with them at some point if i if if i needed right. to um and i don't know that's that's it be, because of that it it it's a shame because it weeds out so many more unique points of view than, than my own, to be honest. I'm, yeah. I'm just, no, I'm that's just true. Like another... But that's your village, you know, and we're, we're lucky to have villages around. Yeah. Us. And I, I hope that, especially now, I hope that, uh, you know, at, I know that SC has kind of made some changes. I think if like you come, if come from a household that has, that makes less than, I think it's 80,000 a year, it's uh, tuition mm-hmm. free, or if, I think that's what it is. I'm, I could be wrong, but I know they're trying to change it. And I'm hoping that AFI does too, because I do think that the education I got at AFI was incredible. Um, and it's yeah. the, the best part about it is this like immersive experience where it's two years where you, the reason you go in so much debt is also you're getting, you have to cover your living expenses because you, you should not be going to do other jobs. So you can actually really immerse yourself for two years in the program and focus right. on nothing else, nothing else, but just making things. And I thought, so what, one of the coolest things to me about going to going back to school was I look back on my uh, high school years and before um, I have 
one really close friend from those years. You know, Ryan, you've met Ryan before. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah, he's like, you know, my best buddy since third grade. Um, otherwise, I'm not that close to many, many people from high school. I'm still, you know, Facebook friends or Instagram buddies, whatnot. But like, I'm not that close to as many people from high school. And same thing for college. My mm-hmm. one friend from college is Noah, who became, you know, one of my other best buddies. Right. Um, but, and I think part of that is that like, I, <laughs> I had Entertainment Weekly. My favorite, favorite day of the week was, was Fridays when I'd come home and, and go through Entertainment <laughs> Weekly or the, or the totally. summer movie preview uh, or winter movie preview or and then the, I would every Sunday read the calendar section um and uh e e had their uh, coming attractions um like through you know in the before that you can just go on YouTube and watch any trailer like that and right. I, those were that's I had, I loved all that so much and no one else I grew up with gave a shit about it all um uh-huh. and the same thing for in college like I wanted I think I wanted that I wanted to be around people that that loved movies and then eventually tv shows as much as i did but they weren't i couldn't find those people back in high school or in college and then all of a sudden i go to grad school and then the first day of afi i'm like surrounded by 150 people who yeah all all want that we're all trying all we want to do is just play in the sandbox and and that's what that's the best thing about a a grad school and especially AFI is that you're making things you're uh I ended up writing f- six shorts to uh, two the two bigger uh-huh. thesis films and and four of these like cycle films are called which are just like mm-hmm. um these you know 20 20 minute shorts uh and just to be able to like tr- truly experiment um and like yeah. that's such a helpful part in like finding your voice and that's where you know just just listening to podcasts or or going to schools that don't have any production side um you know that's that's where you you miss out because so much of i don't know the, the of finding your voice of just is through the actual making of a product in a way yeah. and and i also you know like can draw a direct line from palm springs to AFI because on the very first day or second day of AFI, I met Max Barbaco, the director, and we uh-huh. we bonded over. Um, I think Eastbound and Down had just wrapped up, and I was just we were both oh, like man. we so were both good. blown away, <laughs> like how they those those guys are able to go from these moments of like slapstick comedy to yeah. a real like emotional gut punch within the manner of like a moment or a scene um and mm-hmm. like we're we're in tears like genuine tears and uh so we, yeah we i remember us bonding over that and pavement and the replacements uh and and i was like right. oh and, and both of us are little <laughs> brothers so i think there was like this kind of you know growing up in the shadow of and so yeah, we yeah. had a shared out i know yeah, the feeling yeah, we had we had a shared <laughs> outlook on life because of that too um and so we made our first short film together there and then made one of our like our thesis film together and we just became like you know true kind of collaborators in the in the best of uh, best of senses um is that the kind of deal now are you guys um i mean are you looking to work together again and like project after project or are you just kind of taking it as it comes um we uh not every single project but we have a we're we have some TV things we're dabbling in. We have a movie that we're going to be doing together. Another movie. Um, cool. We we know that this is a very like a you know it's a it's a unique. It, when you find someone so that you 
don't know, connect with creatively like that, but also bring yeah. something different to the table. Um, that's, it's a, it's a special thing and you want to hold on to that. And I think that's what, you know, totally, we, we definitely found. Um, and it, that's again, to, uh, to the, the positive of going to a, a school like AFI is that, yeah, we, I found that there and, and yeah. we were able to practice and, and, and also learn how, like there's many classes that are like, talk about like learning how to really like find your story, but like access these deeper yeah. emotions, like shame and fear and whatnot. And, and the yeah. whole Palm Springs, like kind of when we were just kind of trying to come up with the idea and whatnot for it. So much of that was just us two in a room kind of acting as each other's therapists in a way, like, like uh -huh. nothing, we didn't hold anything back. And I think that's, and I, we were able to, and it sounds super pretentious, but like we're, we're able to access that part of our, our subconscious. I don't know. Uh, like, yeah, that's not pretentious. I mean, that's, that's the, the deal, you know, I mean, that's where the great art comes from. That's not superficial. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things I loved about Palm Springs. And, um, if I had not liked the movie, I would just said, Hey buddy, so proud of you. Good job. <laughs> I wouldn't have gotten specific with my, with what I liked about it, but I really did like it. And I think it was, um, a really fresh spin on a, a concept that people have seen and love, which is sort of the repeating of the day, the groundhog day thing. But you, you took, you got an angle, uh, that we hadn't seen before. And it was, it managed to be sweet and romantic and funny, but also, had a little bit of philosophical underpinnings and there was this sort of heady sub subtext. And I think you wove it in just the right amount, you know, and it was, it was more than just this sort of silly fun movie, but it was also that, which I think is for a first movie is like, like, congratulations, man. I'm so proud of you. So proud of you. I Thank loved you. It. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and you know, that part of that is yours too, because again, you wrote that first letter, that first letter of wreck. So, uh, you know, you, you own a piece of Palm Springs. Uh, Did your, uh, are your parents freaking out? Or are they just like over the moon about all this? Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, I, pretty, I feel, like, I feel like it's made them, uh, part of me thinks that they've been contacted, uh, more by friend, like by more friends than I oh, have. Really? Uh, like, I, I think it's made them pretty feel pretty cool and it was it was funny after, awesome. after the wall street journal uh reviewed it and that's uh -huh. that's where like all of their friends um are big wall street journal people and that's where like it sure it gave i don't know it added added some points <laughs> uh to their their coolness i think and then uh and also yeah. in, in that review they refer to me as mr ciara um uh -huh. uh, and so I, I think that that was i think that definitely makes my dad like you know the the, yeah. the tears the tears of fatherly pride <laughs> Oh man, that's um, so and, I'm, great. and I'm I'm pretty sure um, they and I, I I got a text two nights ago uh, from my dad saying we we couldn't agree on what to watch tonight so so this and it, it was a picture of uh, of Palm Springs on the screen yet again I think uh -huh. I think I'm pretty sure they've seen it about <laughs> eight or nine times now. Oh, that's adorable. Uh, it, it's it's been very well reviewed too. That's got to feel good. I was I was a little nervous um, anytime someone close to you makes something like this big. It's always a little nerve wracking. It's like, oh God, Andy's first mm -hmm. movie. I'm so nervous. And then I, I did a little peek at a couple of pre reviews, but I didn't want to really read read. But I just would scan a few of them, and I was like, hey, I told Emily, it's like this thing's getting good reviews. And um, 
that made me feel a little bit better. And then I watched it and then read a lot of the reviews. And it's it's like everyone seems to really like it. Yeah, it's a uh, I uh, feel very lucky because um, it was uh, I don't know. Yeah, and I, I I feel I feel lucky. Um, it's I, I I always I keep going back to there's a moment when we premiered at Sundance that is kind of like burned into my mind. Um, uh huh. And you know where there was the first screening. Max and I were sitting in the back corner um, and like, I, I knew where Joey and my parents, that's not nerve wracking at all. Yeah. <laughs> I, I knew where Joey and my parents and, and Amanda were sitting. I knew where his, his family was sitting cast and crew. Yeah. And, you know, and it was, there was, there was some like buzz leading into the, the premiere, but no one had seen the movie. It just, you know, and, and buzz usually is like buzz can often go the other way. Uh, and yeah. I remember when like lights went down and the Sundance little uh, tri- preview thing came up, and I got a little emotional because, like, and, you know, I grabbed Max, and we, you know, it just flashed into my mind of us meeting seven year, almost exactly seven years earlier, and yeah, to like, it's so great, you know, man. we never once expected any of this. Uh, yeah, we, you know, we when we, so many of those years um, before it even got to Lonely Island, it was just like no one cared about us. Uh, no, it, it was just us wanting to try to make or had had this dream of making some kind of dumb movie. Um, yeah. And then to get to that point, I don't know, it, it just, it was just a lot of feelings. And then, uh, and then when the lonely Island classics, um, card came up that little, like, yeah, everyone in the theater started laughing and it was like this, this, sigh oh of relief that's great <laughs> uh but but I, I kept on thinking about like that moment was like this was the last moment where the movie was like it it was no longer ours after that in eight in eight, 85 yeah. minutes uh it's out into the world and people might hate it and that's that could be the end of our end of our journey as like uh young filmmakers so i you know let's it, well people love it man i, I was um I was a little sad at first because the pandemic happened and I knew that your movie was teed up and I was like, Oh shit, man, I wonder if they're going to delay it or what, whatever. And, um, I wasn't sure about just the overall release plan before this, but it seems like it's kind of worked to your advantage because a lot of tension, uh, has come your way and there's not a lot out there. So it's sort of, uh, it, it sort of has stood alone as a new movie that you can watch. And it seems to have like in a weird way kind of benefited from this whole thing. Yeah. And I, I don't, I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> it's, uh... I'm not saying that it's the only thing out there. So people like it because it could be the only thing out there and it stinks, but uh, I, it's weird. I think it's gotten a lot of attention because of the unique, uh, you guys uh, release schedule, like you guys did Hulu and then this big drive in, uh, drive-ins all around the country, which was so super smart. I think. Yeah, yeah, that was like, I don't know, like we we lucked out with a very forward-thinking, uh, you know, distributors between Hulu and and yeah. Neon to have that kind of like that partnership there. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm uh, obviously the state of the, never in a million years did I think that I'd have a uh, my the first movie would be a summer midsummer release. And have pretty much no competition, um, and the, the competition 
you know, was it's it's uh, the old guard and Greyhound, which are all those different types yeah. of movies. And and totally. those are kind of the only like the next Hulu movie isn't isn't out for I don't think is out for a little while. And and so therefore, I don't know, it, it, we're, a, a normal year, we'd be up against Fast and Furious and, and, and Tenet. And, um, and yeah. Well, I mean, it's a movie that makes you feel good, too. And I think people really uh, just the the timing of it all, I think, came together perfectly. You know, it's a movie that is uh, warm and and funny and romantic. And I think people need stuff like that right now. Uh, I'm kind of curious about just the process of working with Andy and Lonely Island and whether or not you're on set and notes and revisions and just sort of walk us through a little bit of that. Yeah, um, They are the best. They're the absolute best. Um, I pitched. I pitched them yeah. once. He wasn't there, but <laughs> uh, no, so it was. We I, I got hooked up with a manager after like the script was done, and it still it was just me and Max, um, like me, like Max, Max attached as director, and but we knew that it was going to be harder to find financing for a first time director. When this, you know, on my yeah. side, on just the writing side, it was, you know, a script can speak for itself, but. Um, but yeah, we, uh, my manager took the the script out and within like a, a month or, or so, I think a month or two, we got a call that Andy Sandberg wanted to meet. Um, and so we had that first meeting with um, Andy and uh, Akiva and Becky, mm-hmm. Becky Sloviter, who was um, the, who was running their company at the time. And to me, it was like, I don't know. Like it was, it's kind of funny that I, I got there like five minutes early and then I just had to go to the bathroom and then in the bathroom, I, I ran into Andy, but obviously oh, I know who he is at the time, but he doesn't, right. he doesn't know who I am. He doesn't know that I'm about, I'm the guy he's about to meet with. And so, yeah, I, so I didn't meeting. introduce myself, but you know, he gave the, the, the courteous, like, Hey, cause it's like, it was a small bathroom. Um, sure. uh, it was just a little awkward moment. Anyway, after that meeting, it was so clear to me that, Oh, they they see the exact same movie. They they see the, the the yeah they see the same movie that we wanted to do, but also know how to do it and know how to make it yeah you know infinitely better. And a- Andy uh-huh. gets this character better than I do. Um, and I remember going to the parking lot afterwards with Max. Um, it was kind of a shorter meeting, like like a forty five minute meeting, and it ended with a lot of it was like Max kind of just describing you know how he would you know, want to do the movie too, just because it's like, uh-huh. you know, you have to just kind of sell himself a little bit. And I remember after in the in parking lot talking to Max, like both of us were just like saying, I hope to God they want to do this because this would be perfect. And the next day we get a call that they do. And, um, wow. That, that fast. Yeah. Huh? And it was, and from that point on, I think we, uh, they, they there was some d- further development things we wanted to do for like a lot of the third act stuff. Um, but uh-huh. I remember like maybe a week later, like we went in on a Monday to their office and went page by page for notes. And it just, but it was just kind of like, it it felt so, so another, or like the, our little two person team that saw this movie now has had grown yeah. to, uh, the, the room just got bigger and, but right. it was all people that were wanting the same thing. And I remember spending yeah. that, that Monday with them doing, you know, going through the notes, and then I turned around the script by Friday, and the probably this is why Becky Sloviter is you know one of the best producers ever, and now now she's running her own her own like division at uh, MRC. But I remember 
turning his crypton on Friday and then Saturday morning she texts me and says, read it, love it, come back in on Monday um, for, for more notes. Yeah. And it was like, it, it, it was never <laughs> this like, okay, here's the script. And then in two months we will get on the phone and talk. It, right. was, it was very clear to me that they all were like, they wanted to make the movie. And what, what that did was it also just energized me to like turn scripts around faster. Uh, yeah. And so there was, that was about like a three month, roughly three months span of that, that the middle of that was when uh, my daughter was born. And so I, I, uh-huh. I like, I just took a little break, obviously. Uh, um, but then after that, we, we took it out for financing, um, uh, got financing pretty quickly from this company Limelight. And then we were like, from the time we, I think we, I want to say we first really started working on the script and maybe April of, we're with them, April of 2015, 20. Yeah. 18 and we were shooting April of 2019. Wow. Yeah. That's super fast. I mean, for people listening, that's, it's not usually the way it goes. Uh, it sounds cool. It sounds like they really understand creative momentum and, uh, how important that is because things can go away. You know how yeah. it is. Things can go away just cause it's and emails are stuck in someone's email yeah. bo- inbox for too long. Yeah. You know, I was, I was, that can kill a project. I was waiting for this thing to just fall apart at every single moment. Uh, I'm sure that was nerve wracking as shit. Yeah, I it was, it was, it was terrifying, but I also like, I don't know. I, I felt so just to their credit, I felt so protected by, by them. Um, because you know, they, you know, those guys have made some movies, but I've also just been making, yeah. making a ton over the past 15 years. And, and totally, I don't know. I always felt like they, they created this nice, like protective cushion, um, from the, the the scary industry world to just kind of always, always yeah, protect yeah. the script and uh as hard as it as hard That's as it maybe cool. got like once you know we were shooting and stuff like it was still like we all saw the same movie and that's what was was guiding our way along and um i don't know i, I felt i also just i, I learned i learned so much from them like you you, you, oh, you see sure. that like i don't know how how quickly their brains work um, yeah. and how like, you know, five, five minutes with any one of them is more valuable than like 10 hours with, with a, a lesser person in a way, like for when I want to come to ideas yeah, I mean, and whatnot. The, yeah. And it, it's sort of true of any industry where the people that rise to the top, like they're there for a reason. And when you, if you're able and lucky enough to be around them for a minute, even if it's a a professional baseball player or a CEO or a Andy Samberg, like there's, they're special people and they're, they're in that position for a reason because they're super talented and their, their minds do think super yeah. fast and it's impressive. I've been around it before. Yeah. Um, it's, it's cool, man. And now you've got uh currency in the business, yeah. um, which is the hardest thing then, to get. <laughs> th- thanks to them. This, this movie, this movie would never have existed if it wasn't for, um, you know, Becky and Andy and Keeve and Yorma wanting to do it. So, uh, were you on set? Much? Yeah, every day. I was out there. Oh, cool. Um, I was, it was in the writer's room for this other show, uh, for the show Angeline, um, that's coming on Peacock once we can start shooting again. Um, but, uh, the writer's room was in Silver Lake and we'd end around 4 30. And then I would hop in my car and drive an hour to two hours up to, up to set whether it was in like Santa Clarita or Palmdale wherever I set was in and finish around 2 or 3 a.m drive back to our house sleep for a couple hours 
and then just do that every single day. But there was there was no world where I was Man. going to miss, um, you know, the the filming of my first movie because all along the way, I and I'm still I will stand by this now. It's like that could be the only movie I ever have made, and so therefore I can't miss that. Uh, and that's how you got to look at yeah. it. I think you know, uh, not take anything for granted. Um, and boy, I think this is where we say, uh, Amanda, your wife, um, awesome and amazing. Yes. Cause she was, she was clearly holding the fort down during yeah. that time. No, that, it was, it, it would not have been possible if it wasn't for, uh, Amanda. I think we, we knew that there was, it was a, luckily it was a short shoot. It was only 21 or 22 day shoot. Um, yeah. and so like that month though, it was, the month was a blur. Um, but we all, you know, we knew it was just a month. And then after that, I was like, I right. made very clear rules for myself. Like when the writer's room is done at four 30, I'm coming home. And now it's like, I'm going to be home. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, she she was pulling double duty, triple duty that month. That's amazing. Yeah. So cool. Uh, what's well? Can you talk about what's next, or should I just uh, text you and get that story <laughs> privately? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I have a, there's a lot of things that are in, in varying degrees of real, uh, and nothing right. is like uh, I mean, b- because some stuff is not like d- deals aren't like totally locked in yet or whatever like there and it, it sounds so stupid I should, let's just let's we'll text about it all right <laughs> um I, I i my main thing is i have a a, sh- a show that i'm um we haven't taken out yet to network because who knows you know the industry is it, everything is in yeah. flux um but there, there's a show that i uh i wrote on spec and then um i'm doing with uh sam s Mail's company uh they're the one you know the guy who did like mr robot and homecoming and um it's oh, totally. and it's uh it's called their resort and hopefully okay. a network wants to do that once we take it out but um we haven't taken that out awesome um but like the part of the reason i picked force majeure for today was uh was that was like a huge influence on on this on that script and that show for me um, this kind of yeah, I, this, well, I think exploration of, of relationships and of the the people in them, you know. Yeah, that's a good segue. Um, you picked Force Majeure after some back and forth, and this was I'm really glad you did because uh, this is a movie that I had not seen and was not on my radar other than knowing that it was uh, recently remade mm-hmm. into an American version with Will Ferrell and Julie Louis Dreyfus as Downhill. Mm-hmm. And I think I remember just seeing briefly, like, Downhill, not very good, uh, the original much better. Mm-hmm. But, boy, oh, boy, did I love this movie, dude. Yeah. I loved, loved this movie. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's still in my brain. I watched it last night, and it's um, – there's a lot going on in this movie, very subtly sort of going on in this movie mm-hmm. – from a very simple premise, uh, which is if you haven't um, if you haven't heard of it and you know of Downhill, it is the movie of, of, of a family on vacation in the French Alps on a ski trip. And very early in the film, there is uh, an avalanche, uh, a controlled avalanche, which they do at these places to keep real av- avalanches from happening. And uh, this the family thinks that the snow is, and the avalanche is coming their way as they're dining al fresco out on this beautiful um, scene, like the whole movie is so gorgeous. And the dad, the mom 
huddles with the kids to protect them and the dad bolts and it's all very fast and then the whole rest of the movie is just sort of the the repercussions from that incident and that's just sort of a very surface level way to say it it is a, a much much deeper film than yeah that. it's uh i i haven't i haven't seen downhill yet um but i i'm I don't want to. I, I love everyone involved in that movie, and uh, I'm a huge, huge fan of every, like from directors to writers to the stars. Me and, too. Uh, and I actually heard from you know some other close friends um, that uh, you know that ha- having watched it since Sundance, like that actually is it, it, it's pretty good. Um, I just haven't visited yet, just because I I watch Force Majeure um, twice a year at least, uh, and yeah. it's, and <laughs> since it came out, like I just have. I don't know. It just this deep, unfiltered examination of like of gender roles and masculinity, and yeah, uh, totally. It's, it's, it's one of the most uncomfortable yet funny movies I I think uh-huh. I have ever seen. And also, <laughs> like, it's, it's a I don't know uh, everything from writing to directing to acting to cinematography, the score, like top to bottom. It's um, yeah. It, and there's so many images and scenes that are that are burned into my brain. Even just when I watched it again this week, I I just was just writing down like you know the the list of scenes that I just like, you know stood out to me or like or stand out to me in the moment. And I realized all I was doing was just writing down every single scene. Uh, I know, right? Yeah, yeah. It's um, I mean, the first thing that jumped out on me at me was just how how much um. How much currency did writer and director, who's Ruben Ostlund, it's a Swedish film, uh, how much he gets out of just the composition of some of his shots? Yeah. Uh, in the, these, uh, and how he made this ski resort into like this weird, mechanized, sort of uh, IKEA like uh, <laughs> utopia. Um, it, it's like part Stanley Kubrick and uh, part uh, Michael Henke. Uh, it's it's just really remarkable how a shot of like just them on a little conveyor belt yeah. is funny funny and also weirdly sort of disturbing at the same so, time so unsettling uh, <laughs> and then like you know the 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 cannon fires of like the to have these controlled avalanches that like you know yeah, it's, it's constantly going and on he's talked about it being it's like a, the war zone of marriage. <laughs> um, uh, and that just, yeah, it, it, it's like, it's a weird war movie to a point as well. Uh, it really is. Um, and he, he, he uses sound a lot to his advantage, whether it's those cannon fires or, or the, uh, the family when they're brushing their teeth with the toothbrush, the electric toothbrush, mm-hmm. mechanical toothbrushes that sound like, you know, buzz saws in their mm-hmm. mouths. Uh, there's like, there's nothing accidental in this movie. I feel like every single thing has such purpose. Yeah. yeah. Whether it's a, a prop or a, a camera angle or or anything, it's so purposeful and in, intentional. Yeah, there's a. I remember I, I saw this before I saw scenes from a marriage. Have you seen scenes from a marriage? Uh, Bergman's. Um, oh sure. Yeah, yeah. and like I didn't realize like the opening. I don't know if this was intentional or if this was just like a happy accident, but you know both the kind of similar filmmakers to a point, I guess. Uh, that first yeah. scene for this, it's it's the family being having their their photo taken. This kind of like 
you know, yeah. the picture perfect family that we, we this, that he deconstructs. And the same, that's the same thing in, in scenes from a marriage. It's the family having their photo taken and, uh, and how just like one single shot of, of a, and hearing an off an off screen photographer give instructions on like, on, mm-hmm. you know, basically make it look like you like each other. Um, it's yeah. just so uncomfortable. And, I, and tra- they did the same thing in transparent. I think it was maybe top of season two or season three. Um, but opening with like just, or ha- having just one long, like photo taking scene, um, which yeah. that's, that's I, I, doing the same thing for that, with that show that I mentioned is just that like, you, you can tell so much, there's, there's so much subtext and we need to let the camera just sit there and, and if you have performers that understand these things, like like what what they're going for on mm-hmm. like a deep level, um, I don't know. It's it 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 communicates so much more than some fancy editing or writing can communicate. Yeah, he really um, he really lets that camera sit there a lot, and there are a lot of really long, unbroken takes um, that you don't even realize until you're three minutes into it. You're like, wait a minute. I don't, I don't even think there's been a cut or an edit. Mm-hmm. And then you rewind and go back and you're like, yeah, that camera's just sitting there. Yeah. And the composition sometimes is he'll cut people off at the neck. Uh, and what is in the frame is sort of interesting, but someone will walk in and, uh, and they'll just be, they'll be framed from like the neck down yeah. as a ma- major part of the scene. And uh, it's just, I don't know. It's a very ballsy filmmaking. Yeah. I think. No, I, 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 I don't know if you've seen the square, his follow up, and then uh, I'm yeah, dying to. I saw the trailer after this so one. So good, and I think that he, he it, he's. It's, I'm the most excited about him as a filmmaker than I think I've been about anybody. Uh, I think since I saw Boogie Nights, um, which is it is nuts, and I, his his next movie just also just sounds incredible too. Um, that. He, yeah, same uh, him and then the guy that did uh, the lobster mm-hmm. and yeah. killing of a sacred deer. What's his name? Uh, Yorgos uh, Lanthimos. Yeah, they for some reason they sort of remind me of each other. The films aren't the same, but just really, really unique points of view. Mm-hmm. I think from both of those guys, it's, it's um, interesting because like uh, when I when I saw this and it hit me, it, it was it was back at film school and it was. Um, at back at AFI came out in 2014, I think it. And uh, yeah, our, we had this um, a, a world cinema uh, professor teacher. Um, he had recommended it, so I I watched it and ended up writing a paper on it back then. But it it, it immediately hit me and sunk its teeth. And I think and it was right around the same time that um, that movie We Are the Best, uh, the about the Swedish um, punk rock teens, uh, these these teen- oh, teenage girls that. That, that start a punk band. Um, it's also incredible. Uh, and then I started getting into more, like more into Bergman. And, and then I realized like one of my, the big bands from my childhood that I loved uh, was um, refused. And, and then it became international noise conspiracy. Uh, and I think I, as part of also a Swedish, I started thinking like, do I have some, some sweet Swedish right. blood in me? <laughs> uh, Cause like I, I, I get these on a, I don't know. I, I get the point of view on a on a deeper level than I do for most most you know artists, creators, filmmakers. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's it's it, it's it hold this movie holds up a weird but very honest mirror um, to you know yourself and to society. Yeah, I think so. 
I mean, it's um, there, there's a lot, like you mentioned earlier, and I had the same exact note, like there's so much about gender roles and your role in a marriage and masculinity. And a lot of this movie is about the, just sort of the fracturing of the male ego, mm-hmm. especially with the the main character. And it's, uh, it's all just so subtle. Like, I, I think I don't want to see the American version because I know it's not going to be subtle. Mm-hmm. I can tell from watching the trailer, it's not subtle. But there are so many, uh, like the scene, for instance, masterful scene is when that camera's locked down. And this is after this guy's feeling shit, uh, like uh, shit about himself for, you know, A, not uh, doing the right thing and B, lying about it and saying like, no, that's not what happened the whole time, still not owning up to it and uh, goes skiing with his buddy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the dude from Game of Thrones and does some primal scream therapy up there. And then they go back and they're having a beer at the the ski lodge or whatever. And that woman comes up. It's one of my favorite scenes in the movie and says, you know, my friend thinks you're the, the best look, most best looking guy at the bar. <laughs> and uh, he you can see him start to feel good about himself and sort of he sort of laughs. And then they sit in that for like a minute and she comes back and just eviscerates him but not even purposely she's just like i'm sorry i was mistaken she was talking about somebody yeah, else and you, you just watch like their this this sense oh of pride drain uh, I, I know they exactly it's it's, it's exa- i timed it it's exactly a three minute long shot too it's, it's three oh, minutes uh and it, it's this yeah this long pushing um and I, I had a like a movie club with some friends um that every time every before we like watch a movie we'd sometimes like show our favorite scene from another movie. And I've, I, that, that's yeah. the scene that I, I showed them. Cause I, it still is like, it's burned into my, my brain. Um, with that, that song, that song, yeah. that, that EDM song, reload, totally. blasting. Uh, well, and not only like that would have been enough in that scene, I think was just that happening. And then they come back and apologize and you could just see, he's just like feeling bad again. But then they had that little cherry on top at the end when, this other guy comes up and starts to sort of pick a fight with them because I guess they think I read it as, I guess he thinks that they're starting shit with mm-hmm. these ladies. Cause he was kind of like, are you messing with us? Are you fucking around with us? Yeah. And it, and just that extra little bit about guys that get in fights yeah. and they didn't get in a fight, but it was all just so real. And like, yeah, you, it, you feel dirty. Like you're just eavesdropping mm-hmm. like a voyeur or something on this, on this guy's yeah, life. But yeah, I also like, it seems there's, so many people like that uh and i i yeah i think what is what is i think another just brilliant thing about the movie is that the, the very next scene like that that's when you know you know this this cracking of this male ego uh really starts yeah. to it's it's really pronounced and the next scene is when he's locked out and then he goes wandering and there's just that this like the yeah. the running of the bulls in a way but just of <laughs> these very these yeah these party yeah, guys the and then it cuts to that scene of just like they're in a club or in a tent. I don't know, but all these shirtless men just screaming and chugging beers and like roaring, yeah. like just gross Neanderthal men uh, and yeah. vomiting. Uh, and he he's kind of yeah. lost in there. It's <laughs> it's just it's so disturbing and funny and and I love how he runs away at the beginning yeah. when they're coming at him. <laughs> it's like it was another avalanche. Yeah, kind exactly. Of, you know? uh, I don't know. It's 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 and. I mean, for, you know, for Palm Springs, uh, Max had made this, um, this kind of sizzle reel, like to kind of do almost, almost like just to prove his, his idea for the movie in a way. And just yeah. taking a bunch of clips from other movies, um, 
that can help, I don't know, capture the feeling we want in Palm Springs. But one one brief shot in that says a reel is is when uh, Tomas, the main guy, is is crying like that that real yeah. true ugly guttural cry uh, yeah, when yeah. he's like first he's like is the the he's not really crying and she calls him out but then I then it's true that, yeah he's fake yeah crying. But, but then I think that like it really just he just I don't know crumbles uh, after that and I don't know it's it's that whole. I don't know, pretty much that whole run from when the scene that you just talked about where, uh, you know, their their fragile male ego is is attacked to yeah. him on the ground in back in their hotel room crying and the, his wife doesn't even know what to do with them anymore. And then the, the kids come up seeing that, oh, seeing God. their dad. And like, I, I go, I go from laughing to feeling, yeah. to feeling so uncomfortable to I was like in watching it again last night, I was, I was crying. And I think I, I you know, having a, I'd imagine, you know, R- Ramona, like sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll totally, fake Fred Ramona, but she doesn't like, like that at all. Uh, yeah. And having, you know, just to, to see your father like that, like this, this crumbling blubbering mess. It's a, uh, it was that scene is brutal. So heartbreaking. And then, and then the, the daughter yelling at the mom, like, come on. Oh God. <laughs> That scene is so brutal because the mom knows, and we should just say Lisa Loban Kongsley, uh, who plays the wife, is just fucking amazing in this mm-hmm. movie. Um, but in that moment, she she has built up this whole movie as uh, the most important thing to her is her kids. Yep. And she doesn't have to be the perfect mom. She's not saying she's a perfect mom, but that is her priority. And that's the thing that she cares about the most. That's why she protects them during the the would-be avalanche She's incensed at her friend who is out sort of having flings and leaving her kids at home and like doing for herself. She just can't like, I think she's sort of jealous, but she can't even process Mm -hmm. that. But in that moment when he is crumbled and the kids are screaming for her, she, she sort of hates him right then, Mm -hmm. but she knows that she has to go over there and comfort (laughs) them for the sake of those kids. And it's just so real. I think like, I think we've all been in moments like this, especially when you're married and and when you have kids, uh, where you know that you have to do the right thing, but it's so hard to, like you have to get over yourself so much as a, as a spouse and as a parent. Yeah. And I think that that's, it's done so beautifully in the scene that follows when like they go up on that, on that ski run, um, and it's a you know it's really snowy up there and yeah you, you could you just totally tell that like she knows they have to put on this like performance in a way so that the kids yeah. can feel protected by their father again to like i don't know reinforce those those gender roles like the father being the protector and so you know mother uh eba the mom she pretends that she's you know either hurt or lost dad has to go so she is she pretending? Is, is that what happened there? I, I, I'm I'm fairly sure because it's a, after this like triumphant heroic moment of, of uh, the dad carrying her back to the kids and the, the yeah, kids are she cheering. Was like, fine. And then like the, the, <laughs> and the music is crescendoing and then the music stops and then she just gets up and walks back to go get her skis. So she did she didn't she yeah. didn't need to be carried, obviously. Uh, it was just like to so the kids don't don't think their dad is is, you know, worthless. Uh, and I don't know, it's having, having, 
I'm, I'm, I love my parents so much and they've been incredibly supportive of, uh, yeah. this in my pursuit of, um, not doing what you're supposed to be doing, but not doing this, the straight and narrow job, um, not doing the responsible job, just kind of going after these, you know, be it in a rock and roll band or be it, uh, chasing this, you know, this dream to make movies or TV shows or whatever. They've been incredibly supportive, yeah. but I remember very clearly when I was, uh, I was in wrestling in high school. I, uh, I got the coach's award. I was, I lettered varsity, like the end of my sec, my sophomore year. I was, it wasn't on like normal varsity team, but I was, I would have been on varsity in junior year, but I, I played some varsity tournaments and we had, there was the, the wrestling banquet. And one of the, the coach gave this big, long speech about like this, this wrestler that has just like, that's made him so proud and just like this good character. And then at the end, he's like, and that's, that's Andy Ciara. And I got the coach's award and my dad's crying his eyes out. Um, like so <laughs> proud of me and that I got the coach's award. And I'm like, you know, I'm very, well, it's a manly, manly sport. And then the next day I tell him like, yeah, I'm going to quit wrestling so I can go join video yearbook. Um, <laughs> and I think I, I think I, it, it crushed him. And he, I mean, he even offered to buy me a, a, a new, um, a Gibson Les Paul to keep, if I would stay in wrestling. But that's the thing oh, is no. I just like, I, I have never been one to, um, you know, be into sports really or be nat naturally yeah. gifted at that i've always i've always drifted more in the like let's get weird realm um and i always i wanted to exp you know and the reason i wanted to join video yearbooks because they had these nicer cameras to that i can do you know i can check out um but uh why, why was i even going down that path but what was i i feel like i had i had a point to make i think uh but i lost <laughs> that point um something having to do with like reinforcing that that yeah, role yeah. of like you know the the, the masculine man and I, i'm right. hoping that the you know uh, yeah you noah uh he recommended this book about like uh this memoir about like toxic masculinity and stuff and i think that yeah. like uh and i've just i'm i'll try to find it before we end um to tell you what it is uh but it's it's great because it's like it it talks this guy talks about how uh, his dad, who is like this always, you know, very masculine man, um, at the end of his life, he, he is, he basically said like, if, if he can change one thing, it's like, he would, he wouldn't want to care. He wouldn't care about that being that masculine man as much as it's, yeah. it's so, so not important at all. It's so, it's yeah. so stupid. And I think it's, it's the reason we have, it's one of the reasons we are in the situation, the shitty situation that we are in is because of this, like of all of all the stuff that, that Ruben Oslin kind of explores in this from like the, the roaring yeah. drunk shirtless men to like this, to the, the need to kind of like, you know, when you, when you're ego, when you're attacked when, like that, the, the, the long three minute shot, when you feel like your ego is, is attacked, you have to like, you, you, you stand up for it. Yeah. Um, or when, I, I found it so incredibly fascinating when the multiple times when Tomas lies, when, when Eva, yeah. she, she shares the story and he's like, that's, that's your version of events. That's not what happened. Right. Like, you're, yeah. you're allowed to have two different versions of events. And then she's, she's just like, 
well, it's on, it's on your phone though. So well, let's watch it. Oh yeah, it. that part was and, great. And you, you see, you see it on his face. It's, it's like, it's a, it's a shameful man that is being caught. And I like, yeah, it's, it's so, so powerful and yet. But even it's, it's the instinct of his, of the, of the Game of Thrones guy, um, Matt's, uh, to still defend yeah. him, to still like to still defend yeah. his his bro in a way, and I think that's yeah. where like you see this this crazy snowball effect of just you know just just people are flawed, and like, I think I, I acknowledge that I think people, we need to acknowledge that people are so so flawed and and yeah. try to like fight against these these natural instincts. Uh, and I think that's what you know, this movie just really highlights all of that to me uh, in, so, in so many moments, big, big and small. Uh, and I think, you know, it, it highlights that I think a lot of men are just, you know, <laughs> less evolved creatures. Yeah. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. 
This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of Rappaport's reality, the reality of us. We're figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, it it would have been been podcast would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Uh, another part that I want to talk about, one of my favorite scenes was when, uh, and another part that was so sort of instructive as to be able to make such a subtle scene work so well as a, you know, people that write movies and stuff. It's such a lesson in that is when she goes off skiing by herself. Uh, she wants to have like a day on the slopes and she's in the woods and she's peeing and she kind of gets away from everyone. There's no one around. She, you know, takes off her little ski suit and she's sort of squatting down and peeing and she sees sort of hears first and then sees her family kind of through the trees out there and doesn't like, doesn't say anything Mm -hmm. and they're right there and it's just i thought that was such a powerful scene and so simple that she's just sort of in the woods behind them and she could go join them and and so much of the movie is about her struggle with her as a parent um and as a mother and uh i just i just love that scene it was so simple but so powerful it's it's, uh it's funny because this time around I actually wondered, it's not not to get crass, but uh-huh. was she taking a shit? <laughs> I think she was I, peeing. I, this, I always thought she was peeing before, but I think that this time when I'm watching, I think I think she might have been uh, might have been going number two. Pooping? Yeah. What? Uh, why do you think that? Because I, I, there was this. It was the way that she was breathing, and there was. Oh. <laughs> And I, I, I thought I heard maybe like there's some slight sound effects in there. Um, and and oh, because like a it's, it's, a, it's a longer that like she's she's squatting there for a, a while. Um, well, that's true. Um, I don't know. It's, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't change the, the beauty of the scene at all. But I, I did notice it. This is the first time I thought that maybe she wasn't actually peeing. She was, you know, it, it was something more. But it, it's yeah, I don't know uh, that. Yeah, that was there are so many so pronounced moments like that and then uh I, i'm looking at this old paper that i wrote at afi that i, I pulled up about it and there are so many also just like sh- short little glances here and there that yeah. um i feel tell so much of a story and like one of them is when uh tomas is brushing his teeth while eva while eva uh-huh. is like she's going pee behind him um and mm-hmm. she stands up she doesn't have her her shirt on, and when she stands up and turns around, it's it's really as if to not let him see her naked, because yeah. he he just got done trying to like have sex with her, and she kind of that that got you know pushed aside, yeah. and he's he's checking her out, and you see like the the dumb ape that he kind of is, and like many men are, is that he he can't help even though she turned around, he can't help but look at it, look at her ass. You follow his sight line, he just. He's, and yeah. she's clearly not happy with him in the moment, and there's no and yeah. there's no sense of emotional or sexual intim- intimacy whatsoever. Yet he still can't help but check her out. Uh, it's and yeah. like and that like that, that that stuck out for me. And also in the that final bus ride, um, 
Oh, but fi- like once once they cut to that final bus ride, the first people we see when we cut into the bus are it's Matt's and Fanny, uh, the Matt's the the Game of Thrones yeah. guy, and you know he had already demonstrated his insecurities in this relationship. Uh, you know he's significantly older than his twenty one year old uh, girlfriend. Um, yeah. But the last time we saw them, like it seemed like they may have worked out that minor tiff. Uh uh-huh. but because they're the first people we see when the film cuts inside the bus and we see Fanny is laughing while texting someone. Um and uh-huh. you just see He yeah, kind of peeks, yeah, doesn't he? He can't help but glance over as if as if he's jealous that someone else is making her laugh. <laughs> and and who yeah. is it? Is it a guy he doesn't know? And like why is she texting a guy? And you know, to to make it worse, she catches him looking and then angles her phone away to intentionally hide it from him. <laughs> And now, yeah. you know, like we leave with him now thinking that she's hiding something from him. Uh, and that, that that downward spiral of negative thoughts is all captured so well in that one single glance. Um, and yeah. I, the, the movie is just, is just filled with so, so many of those those kind of moments that, uh, I don't know, it's, 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 yeah. it's masterful in a way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I said at the beginning, like there, there's, there are no accidents in this movie i think everything is so intentional and he's so uh as a writer and director he is so comfortable with making the audience sit and being uncomfortable in these awkward scenes that are just like oh just like you want to crawl out of your skin some of them are so painfully awkward Mm -hmm. i mean they they have full two full scenes with two different couples where she she has her first try where she calls him out tells the story of what happened and he denies mm-hmm. it. And then they have a take two and she does the exact same thing in front of their like really good friends. Yeah. And um, he denies it again and he doubles down. I was like, well, surely he's going to own up to it this yeah. time. And he fucking doubled down like a coward. And uh, <laughs> like, you, you think they're okay. And, and that's why I think I love the movie so much is you, when you first see them, you think they're fine. And like, it just shows how these, how a tiny little crack mm-hmm. can just become this fissure in a relationship if it, and it's clearly not solid he admits to being unfaithful in his big breakdown yeah. outside the hotel room yeah. like i feel like a third of this movie was shot right outside their room yeah. on that little yeah. hallway it's so funny how many scenes are like set right there yeah no it's it's uh it's it's incredible that I, it, it's made me want to like truly like try to dig deeper in my own writing. Um, I, that's, just a couple of quotes that, that I, I pulled up that, uh, Ruben Austin had said, um, kind of around the movie. Uh, he said two main goals. He had two main goals, uh, for the movie. First one was to create the most spectacular avalanche scene in film history. And the second yeah. one was that we should increase the percentage of divorce in society. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that you can use the film as a relationship test, and it's it's interesting when he when like hearing him talk about like what makes him want to do movies and stuff, and so, so many movies, like a lot of his ideas, he talks about how like he's inspired by YouTube, uh, he like videos on YouTube that he finds like the whole end, the whole last scene, it was like there's a, it's a bus, it's a it's a YouTube, it's from a YouTube clip of a bus driving down a very similar I think I heard that. winding road. Um, God, that scene was so fucking tense. Like after this whole movie of tension, they're finally on this bus out of there. And you're thinking, all right, this movie's winding mm-hmm. down. And it's just like, there's nothing more terrifying than a a big bus on a windy mountain road and then someone driving that shouldn't be yeah. driving. And <laughs> it's, it, what is so nice is that like, 
it's so complicated and, and ends it out on a very complicated thought because the whole time we've been watching this this deconstruction of like this of masculinity and this and this guy's like psyche in a way and then yeah when faced with a different type of danger the mom ebba abandons her kids abandons everybody yeah and gets off the bus <laughs> and le- leaves everyone behind and uh and then everyone kind of follows in this kind of like this this sh- sheep mentality and who yeah. is the one person that is still on the bus that stays yeah, on is the one friend. that is the is the one who and I, he, he's talked about this before too but like the one who is not following the traditional roles of of society yeah. and she, it's, it's the friend who who she is kind of calling out for like you know hooking up with different men and whatnot uh not not being what not doing what a normal mother or wife is supposed to be doing she is the one person that stays on the bus and the bus <laughs> drives off and she, they she makes it down uh presumably while everyone else is kind of like yeah stranded there like well what do we do now oh that was so great man because they all follow yeah. her because she clearly i mean she doesn't say come with me but she she takes that lead mm-hmm. and everyone follows her because no one felt safe um and and it's you're right it's so complex because i think she realizes very soon after like did i overreact mm-hmm. she's sort of questioning herself mm-hmm. and everyone else is kind of like well thanks a lot lady like no one says anything though but you can just read that the mood of the crowd yeah of like well fuck now we're out here on this road and it ends with that great shot of the dad uh you know he, the guy asks if he wants a cigarette mm-hmm. he's holding his son's hand little harry mm-hmm. And he says no, but then he says yes. And Harry asks him if he smokes, and he says yes. <laughs> and it's like he's he's finally like he's finally done something honest in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> at the very end. Yeah, yeah. It's a uh, it's it's great. Um, I don't know. God, it's I don't so know good, I, man. I, I could we could continue to break it down for another five hours if you want, but uh... <laughs> I know. No, I think we did it. Uh, such a great movie. You, you definitely got to check this out. Um, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen it, or if you saw Downhill and didn't love it, see the original. It is so good. And this is a filmmaker. I can't wait to see The Square. Um, I told you I watched the trailer right after this. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's he's on my list now. It's like a new favorite. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I wanted, there's another quote that I found that is in this interview in The Guardian that he had. I wanted to, I feel is important to share. Because uh, he, he talks about how he, he never kills characters in his movies. Um, and that's okay. like, and so this with the quote is that the industry is perverted when it comes to violence. Of course, it's an easy way to create a dramatic event. But my view is that human beings are copycats. We imitate what we see. If you're reproducing pictures of men running around with guns, people will imitate that. Look at any high school shooting the images of killers, the images that killers take of themselves in the mirror. It's so obvious to me that they're copying a character. And, yeah. and so like he's, that was, that stems from this idea that he doesn't, uh, doesn't kill people, doesn't have people die in his movies. Um, and they're really like, they come from a deeply an internal place. And I don't know, it's a, it's another thing that I'm, it's, it's made me now look at what I'm, what I'm doing. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the power of a, of a great filmmaker is just to, you know, inspire others, man. 
Yeah, he's not killing anyone in his movies. I feel like the fate of his characters is even worse. He's brutalizing them yeah. still. Yeah. <laughs> but he's not he's not letting them off easy by yeah, killing it's just, them. It's, it's the, the death of in shame is almost more it's that's more like when you have yeah. to live with sh- deep shame is, is more painful than yeah. a quick death, like a beheading. So and that's totally. that's what he puts puts his characters through. All right, brother. That was great. Uh, thanks again for turning me on to that movie. I can't, this is a new favorite. I can't wait to watch it again already. I'm going to watch it with Emily, I think, soon because she didn't get to see it. But uh, congratulations, dude, on all your success. Thank you. So proud of you. Uh, I've known you and Joey for so many years now, and uh, I'm glad that we've stayed pals and can't wait to see what you do next. I'm uh, I'm the charter member of the Andy Sierra fan club. Thank you, buddy. Uh, I am. I am, you know, I still feel like I'm one of the one of the earlier stuff you should know fans um, of course man back in the back in the days when we had our our cd spindle full of episodes to listen to on the road uh so i am i am a friend and family member and fan <laughs> of right. yours uh, for life so i'm, I'm happy we got to catch up like this thank you for having me on all right everyone check out uh check out palm springs on hulu uh leave a review online go on rotten tomatoes and juice that score up even more but uh very good movie. Go check it out. Andy Ciara, thanks for being on, my friend. Thank you. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that. I sure did. It was good talking to my friend. Andy is awesome. Uh, Force Majeure is great. We had a really good conversation about it. Uh, it was also great to pick his brain about screenwriting and sort of his process and how he got to where he is now. I'm very excited for my friend and uh, just can't wait to see what comes next. It's just the best thing ever. The The, the next best thing to me being a screenwriter is Andy. So I uh, hope you guys enjoyed that. Big thanks to Andy. Uh, check out Palm Springs uh, again. A really fun movie on Hulu. And leave a good review for it. And uh, big thanks to Andy for dropping in, in in the old virtual basement. And thanks to you guys for listening. We'll see you next week. Movie Crush is produced, edited, and engineered by Ramsey Yunt here in our home studio at Pont City Market, Atlanta, Georgia, for iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. 
have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.